according to the World Health Organization's 2021 global report, one in seven 10 to 19 year olds experiences a mental disorder, accounting for nearly 13% of the global burden of disease in this age group. In many societies, mental disorders related to marginalization, impoverishment, domestic violence, abuse, and overwork and stress are becoming clearly aspects of growing concern, especially in the area of women's health. People with mental disorders experience a disproportionately higher rate of disability and mortality as well. Some pretty uh, sad statistics, I know, but uh, for our listeners, it's important as we get into this uh, season that we really, really break apart and share exactly the magnitude of this issue. For example, persons with major depression and schizophrenia have a 40 to 60% greater chance of dying prematurely than the general population. And that's owing to a variety of reasons, but physical health problems that are often left unattended. And that includes diagnosis of cancers, cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, infections, and ultimately, unfortunately, what it leads to is suicide. Now, suicide, for our listeners who uh, haven't listened to our previous episode where we dedicated our discussion on that topic, is the second most common cause of death amongst young people worldwide and the fourth leading cause of death amongst 15 to 19-year-olds. Indeed, very, very striking statistics. Our emphasis, therefore, this season is to try and peel apart the complex ecosystems, drivers, and challenges facing the real issues in mental health and to attempt to build collective and actionable consensus. You'll be hearing from a diverse set of voices who each represent a holistic outlook on mental health. They've dedicated their lives and careers as well as come with some personal stories and experiences. Well, I'm Rohit Segal, the Chief Strategist at The Voices Project. And today I'm really, really pleased to be joined by Paolo Liao, a senior executive and policy lead in the healthcare sector. But I should say today, Paolo is here on a personal basis. He's gonna talk about a topic that's not only close to his heart, but somewhat personal as well. Paolo, welcome. Thank you, Rohit. It's a great pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Thank you. Thanks for joining. I've been very intrigued and interested to have this discussion with you today. And I think uh, as part of uh, getting into this discussion, why don't you tell us a bit about your background and the experiences that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, thank you. So uh, I'm a Brazilian, but, but my parents are from Taiwan, right? And I would say today when people look at me, I'm this like international executive, uh, successful, but few people know that I came from uh, the outskirts, the ghetto, right? In a very marginalized situation where I suffered a lot of like abuse in the family household and outside, right? And this is the reason why this topic for me is uh, so interesting. And I really hope I can share a bit of my experience mm -hmm. and how I navigated the conflict of uh, cultural conflict between my household's Taiwanese culture with outside Brazilian culture, and also uh, growing in the ghetto where the violence is widespread compared to the place I was studying where my school was in the uh, wealthy neighborhood. And out of this conflict uh, took a toll in my uh, early ages. And I'm lucky that I believe I was able to overcome it, but this was the, this was challenge, yes. Indeed, indeed. Now, well, I think 
this is why having your experiences and obviously people who you had you know close proximity with who had uh, their own challenges and issues is going to be so valuable uh, for us to factor in and listen and interestingly and you know in such an interesting way you straddle these sort of two continents in a way uh, and, and, and almost present a very global perspective but Paolo I mean um, several literature and WHO reports themselves have shown uh, depending on the local context that certain individuals and groups in societies uh, may be placed at a significantly higher risk of experiencing mental trauma mental health these vulnerable groups, uh, you know, uh, include members of households that come from all walks of life and demographics, poverty, infants, children exposed to maltreatment and neglect, adolescents first exposed to substance use, minority groups, indigenous populations. Now, from your years in Brazil and experiences in Asia, in a way, how do you perceive the reality versus statistics? You, you talked about the, the cultures, you talked about the environment. Um, tell us a bit about some of the reality that uh, that this can affect uh, some of the people you were you were you were aware of. Yeah, absolutely. I think the reality I experienced is completely in line with the statistic. The mm -hmm. only difference is more painful because mm -hmm. the numbers don't show all the pain, the tears people suffer. Right. Uh, I would say my first memory is when I was about six or seven years of age when my father was like hammering my head on the ground until I bleed. And it's like, for me, it was completely, un I couldn't understand because I was six, seven, mm -hmm. right? And it's not, it was not only me. I wouldn't say that my father was a monster, but it was the environment. My neighbor, he uh, was at home when it was like around, I think 12, 13. His father was a policeman, mm -hmm. arrived home drunk and shot his uh, leg. Mm. simple like that mm. and then you can say oh whatever the uh, um, behavior a kid can present it doesn't justify a parent to mm. go home and, and shoot a kid's life right and when you look around uh, in the environment i grew up in brazil it was so widespread the use of alcohol abuse of substance uh, early age uh, uh, early age sex when if you look at brazilian statistics brazil is one of the countries with a lot of like a young uh, uh, unplanned uh, pregnancies, right? So this is basically the environment you are. You have a family that is uh, toxic. If the parents are not uh, absent because they have to take hours commuting, working long hours and get home like exhausted, they are like uh, violent and, and uh, victims of the society as well, which creates this like a dynamic of uh, a vicious cycle, right? Uh, and then in the in the outskirts, you don't have options. I see my son today in Singapore. He has like so many opportunities to develop. He, he goes to violin classes. He goes to like a spark mental training. He goes to uh, soccer camps and, and all of these like also activities with friends in bouncing clubs or whatever. While in the in the outskirts, you have nothing. Basically, you're just like uh, left in the streets being like uh, taught by your peers and criminals because your parents are not there. And sometimes it's even better because some of the parents are like uh, violent, right? So this all makes the environment uh, driving people to uh, drug abuse or, or like a very like a, um, 
bad behavior or even like self-destructive behaviors, right? And in Brazil, now it's better, but back then in the 80s and 90s, there was not a lot of like uh, enforcement in terms of uh, selling dr- uh, alcohol for, for adolescents. So mm. the first time I was, I got in contact with alcohol was 13. Mm. And it, it really went very fast. From my first uh, sip of uh, beer, it went to in few months to weekly drinking uh, two, three times a week and with like a binge drinking, leading a person to vomiting and passing out. And it's with 13 years of age. And we're all going to bars and buying the, the drinks without any control. Mm. Mm. So those, those, those sort of almost uh, social or community safety nets uh, that one would assume or, or would expect at least needs to hold or bind um, the community together just seem not to be there, right? I mean, uh, the, the reality that this level is like a slippery slope, marginalization, uh, the violence, abuse, and all of that. Um, and I think what you're pointing out also is the inequity of it all. I mean, there are parts here in Asia, there's parts in Latin America where you would have a perfectly holistic environment and in others where it just isn't. And that's actually something which is creating more and more of a disproportionate amount of uh, trauma and resulting in uh, lost lives, lost productivity, and all of that. I guess the question here is that, is there a need for us to be looking at, I mean, if you could rewind the clock almost to say from your real world experiences, that if we were to look back and say, what sort of broader support mechanisms could have been there? What what could have sort of helped at those moments where, um, you know, self-harm or harmful actions or risky behavior might have been held back? Do, 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 are you able to sort of identify a place where it should have been, but not schools, for instance, or uh, community centers or play areas or things like that? No, absolutely. I, I believe that uh, the society should have like a mechanism to help kids, right? Uh, yesterday, I just came across a article in CNN where there was a kid in a restaurant and one of the uh, waiters saw that the, the kid was stressed. And then he tried to communicate with the kids with a, a note. And in the end, the kids was like uh, suffering a lot of abuse from their, uh, his parents mm-hmm. and the kids was safe. And the same happened uh, with me. Oh, luckily I'm alive, I would say. But uh, when I was 12, I wrote a, an essay to, to the school where I somehow like describing, I, I, I basically killed and butchered one of my classmates. And this was t- was taken by the school as a well, my God, my God, this kid is problematic, and they you, called my parents. Yeah. You were just twelve years old. Yeah. Yes, I was twelve years old, and then they just called my parents, and this is it, and say, okay, you have to deal with your kid. But they were not. Uh, uh, they didn't think about that. It was an SOS letter, mm-hmm. right? It was like a please has to rescue me, save me, and they simply throw me back to my abuser, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and when I was 15, actually, once I went to my, uh, with my friends to a party, I think it's normal that uh, kids want to go out, right? Uh, and then I decided to go come back home a little bit later, like uh, midnight. Mm-hmm. When I arrived home, my father simply got a gun and punched my head and said, I'm going to kill you because you're, you don't listen to me, right? So these kind of things is how the society can help these people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I was lucky. 
and I was surrounded by good friends and people down the road when I got into university and all of this helped me a lot. I, I love to read and I got, uh, I, I was able to uh, pay for my, um, my uh, support of like psychological support and so on of them, but so on and so forth. But a lot of people is left behind, right? So I, I think there's a role from the state, uh, from, from the broader society to do something. So, some say that, you know, um, nanny states and all of that, that how much can governments get involved? But I think what you're pointing out is there, the, the, these circumstances, and this is why it's so important to have this dialogue, because it's not about the statistics. Statistics are made up of individuals and personal issues and stories. And it's about being able to probably have the right signals identified, the right messages understood so that those who are trying to do some good, whether that's somebody in a restaurant, as you mentioned, whether it's somebody who's a teacher whose main job is not to spot signs of abuse, but can at least make a difference. Um, there's, there's, there's that element, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's also the reality that in some other statistics that when it comes to psychotherapy, the access of psychotherapists is so limited in the world. Uh, I think the numbers were something like one to 200,000 that the probability of getting professional help is next to zero. So I, I think Paolo, what you've just described is a, a necessary uh, aspect of policy shaping that how does one look at the individual or the personal health lens of what could become uh, mental trauma, but uh, can be rescued and can be shaped back. Now, I'm interested to ask you a question, which is you talked about reading and you talked about books. And I've heard that as a, as a way that everyone, me included, I mean, I, I think myself, I mean, I found solace in books at a very young age and it was almost like an escape, right, from reality, but it also brought some sanity. D describe, if you could, just for a little bit, um, how books made a difference to you. Because um, that is part of, I think, a, a very interesting perspective that we've been having conversations on? Oh, I think it's a very good question. Thanks for that. I think I'm lucky to start with, I think I'm lucky because uh, I'm very curious. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very ambitious. So it drove me to look for knowledge, mm -hmm. right? When I was in university, I was trying to, uh, obviously uh, trying to get somewhere, finish my studies, get a job. And then I started to see how in inadequate I was. When I was looking with my peers, right? I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so completely like a inadequate compared to my peers with a better background. And I started to understand it. And I saw that there's an impact. There's an impact in, in friendship. There's an impact of getting an internship. So I start to look, okay, what should I do, right? There's some, there's a problem. Then I start to research. And uh, again, I think I'm lucky back then they, they launched a, a book uh, by Daniel Goldman, by the, uh, the Intelligent Coefficient. And I start to study that. It starts to give me some hints. And then from that, I start to go deeper and deeper. Uh, and this is very helpful because it, you start to understand why you're doing something. Right. Why do, why I used to abuse alcohol in my uh, teenage and when I was like a yeah, in my early 20s, it was my uh, low self-esteem and trying to be accepted by society. Right. This is a way to uh, be part of a, a pack. Mm. And this is a behavior back then in Brazil is like, oh, my God, he's such a good drinker. Mm. And this is why it's like instead of understanding how can you pursue uh, uh, productive things. 
you end up in, into a, a, a the wrong direction. Yeah. And and reading for me, studying was like a key in that. I think one and two, surrounding me with uh, good people. I was like, oh my gosh, these people are so great. I have to learn from them. And I start to uh, improve and then become like a closer friend for them. They started to invite me to their uh, their uh, home, and I start to see a completely different dynamic. The mm-hmm. way they like interact with their parents, like. Uh, it was completely different. There was love, no, not fear, mm-hmm. right? There was like a hugging, kissing, and one ca- uh, trying to care, uh, uh, help and care for another. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting, right? And I said, there's another way to live. There's another way to interact with people. So I think this is like, these are two things. Is I think one, looking for knowledge. Two, look for, surround yourself with people that can help you uh that where, where uh, who you can learn from and be like a completely obsessed to distance yourself from people want to drag you to dark places right uh i would say these are the uh things i i believe helped me obviously i, I still think i'm lucky it would be much better if there was structure professional support for me right yeah, I mean, uh, there's this saying in terms of the, the, the level of self-awareness equals self-worth. And I think we can all remember our growing up years that it's not always equilibrium there. You know, um, uh, the level of what you perceive as your self-worth and what you have as your ability to understand what's around you uh, is, I think, part of what is also driving um, the sort of statistics we looked at earlier. But that's really valuable sort of information to hear and listen to that try and see where some of the more positive actions can lead to a better outcome. And what that outcome can be is various different things. I mean, you know, yours was expressed in one way, but others can see other, other, other aspects as well. Now, th- there is a financial aspect here. And I think, you know, while we talk about the uh, situation as it is, almost like a situation analysis, the reality from, again, just jumping back to some statistics uh, for our listeners here, there's the reality of lost productivity. There's a greater cost of care now, right? Because if, let's say, we don't catch these situations early, if we don't have those sort of uh, opportunities to escape or to bypass, you know, the sort of uh, road towards, let's say, depression and things like that, um, it becomes an expensive parameter. So globally, for instance, annual spending on mental health is less than two US dollars per person. And uh, believe this or not, it's less than 25 cents per person in low income countries. Now, what that basically means, Paolo, to your, to your earlier observation that, you know, if there were only, you know, surroundings or sort of fences and whatnot, uh, the re- reality is that there wasn't any funding for it. Now, what really I think, I, you know, I think brings this to the fore is that nearly 70% of whatever is spent is allocated to standalone mental hospitals. So, you know, it's almost like saying these are basically lost causes that, you know, anything that is finally exhibited as, let's say, considered moderate to severe mental illness is then shunted out of society into these uh, mental hospitals that have associations with poor health outcomes. What's Mm -hmm. your thought on that? I mean, when you think of those numbers and statistics because the question I really want to ask you was would an integrated health system have actually worked one which actually brought community professional advice 
and ultimately, if needed, treatment together, perhaps, if that was at all possible? Yeah, I think it would be, uh, I'd like to just think about what we're doing with uh, smoke cessation, right? It's a public health thing, and you have a lot of mechanisms to make uh, sure that young people don't smoke. And I think it's the same thing. People think about uh, mental health as like, oh my gosh, this, people, this person is crazy. Mm-hmm. Let's institutionalize this person, right? As a, it's already the end of the road. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other things that come out of that. I think the productivity, even people that are today high, highly functional, mm-hmm. I know a lot of them, they have uh, some loss of productivity because they still have abuse of alcohol, for instance, and they go out and and then you end up like or missing work, mm. right? Or when you are at work, there is a presentism. You're not functional actually. You're just so tired, and I, and this is like I so, I, I know a lot of people that uh, uh, have these. I also experienced that in my early ages, mm. right? And um, I I would say most of the people I know, and even they are super successful. From time to time, I see this uh, this happening. Mm-hmm. And when you go back, somehow there's always uh, a trauma that drove these people to this behavior in the early ages, that, and it, be- it became a, a habit. Uh, on the top of that, you have like all the people you lost because they end up doing like a, a criminal things, right? They end up in the in jail, and these are also like I think uh, when we think about mental health, it's not only people getting crazy. But people going into uh, unproductive behaviors and also even get this person completely out of the society, of the economy, because he committed some crime. And then there's also, this is the, I think, the more uh, direct uh, um, loss of productivity. There's another one is when I look at hindsight, I could have uh, been much more productive and developed faster mm. in the beginning of my uh, career i lost so much time because i was struggling right i could have like uh achieved faster higher levels of competencies and skills that i can be more productive to the society if i didn't have to deal with all my uh mental struggles Right, and it took a, a while. I I believe today I'm successful in that. I have a loving uh, son that I nurture and care, and I think he's super happy. And I hope he never go through what I I went through. But when you look at uh, how uh, how much time I I wasted in the beginning of my career. I think this is also part of the loss of our productivity. Yeah, yeah, no, that's actually very, very true. Um, and it's interesting how you bring this almost into a cyclical aspect that with your son and children now, how do we sort of look at our lens, right, compared to where their futures are? Now, on the question of integrated health systems, now it's, I guess, a hypothesis, but many times when you look at physical illnesses, be they cancer diagnosis, reproductive, you know, uh, maternal child health, you know, things which are almost treatable because, you know, we've got something that we can do for it. Isn't that where sometimes the question of mental stability, mental health outcomes 
may go hand in hand with some of the physical treatments. And that's something which even within WHO is being talked about that could we not find better outcomes, treatment outcomes, if we were able to blend the physical and the emotional in some respects together. Obviously, you know, that's a, that's a much bigger challenge in some places than not, but someone who's just presented with a cancer diagnosis, for instance, and not a good one, has obviously a physical issue, but has to now contend with a mental and emotional one. And that in itself then starts to ask, is that the integration point that could also provide for some support or, or things like that? No, absolutely. When the person already is uh, reached the point that we need to treat a disorder, right? a, 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 a significant disorder, mental disorder, or physical uh, uh, disease, then you have to give the person, from my perspective, support to come back to the society because it will also help the person to overcome the disease, right? And, and feel integrated and, and, and into the society. But I think uh, I still believe that we have to go way back, right? Uh, I have a friend in the university that he, because of these uh, struggles, he ended up with, uh, I would say, self-destructive behaviors. And he, I remember one day I was uh, in the gym, he showed up and then he has a lot of warts in his, his mouth. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, what happened, right? And basically he told me that he was like uh, engaged in some like uh, sexual behavior that he shouldn't have done. And down the road, it was so sad for me. It was a, about five years ago. I, I, I learned that he got like a, a head and neck cancer mm, right, mm. because of HPV. Sure. So if you look at a lot of like uh, cancers and other disease, diabetes and so on and so forth, there's a huge deal of behavior, right? So I think the society should think about how impactful it, it is to really support people to have like a, a, a good health, uh, mental health, to avoid all of these. Because when you think cancer, a, a, a lot of is is derived from uh, behavior, right? Uh, if you look at uh, criminality, uh, school performance, uh, any kind of drug abuse, when you go to the root cause, it is all about our emotions and our mental health, right? Yeah, that is that is true. And, and, you know, sometimes, and I think for our listeners, I think this must be such valuable firsthand insight on a lot of the numbers and statistics that are shown. I think what we are hearing is obviously risk factors in youth, you know, whether that be low socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, it seems to be something that can, that can affect anyone at any point linked to that other sort of social determinants of mental health, alcohol use, stress, etc., um, all come and factor together. And I think, Paolo, you're, you're talking about something quite necessary, and that is its linkage to uh, communicable diseases, which is, again, part and parcel of the burden of uh, diseases. Now, there's also substantial concurrence that mental disorders and substance use disorders are actually together. I mean, you know, you sort of realize that mm -hmm. there's a commonality in the same ecosystem. Now, here's a statistic taken together, mental, neurological, and substance use disorders exact a fairly high toll. It actually accounts for 13% of the total global health burden. If one converted that to numbers, that would be a massive sum that is actually pulling down not just economies, but individuals and communities. 
Now, you've mentioned and you've talked a bit about the sort of environment and some of the places that this was perhaps more commonplace, but how do you contend with the somewhat inequitable angle of some communities that have a disproportionately higher rate of, let's say, the slippery slope versus others? Do you, do you, do you see that this is more of a, an inequity discussion as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I had a, a privilege to live in a couple of countries, right? And even in wealthy countries, uh, US, I think, is a good example. You see a huge difference. I, uh, I was living in New York City, Manhattan, and I was a sales rep, and I have to visit some like impoverished community in, in Brooklyn. And it was staggering the difference, right? In Manhattan, you see these kids with uh, private tutors and going to a nice uh, 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 walks in, in the park to learn how to play uh, games and going to the museums. And then when you go to uh, the black community, they were basically abandoned there. You see the, the kids in the streets and with no options of entertainment, right? And, and with, uh, it, it was not that different from what I observed in Brazil. Uh, I think Singapore is is doing a great job. When you look around, I think uh, it's the 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 inequity here is much better than in places like Brazil. But so I I see that inequity really plays a, a role in this. Mm. Yeah, no, that's actually quite true, uh, and and that's going to be part of what some of uh, our other programs in the Voices Project will take a closer look at in terms of how do we lift uh, the inequity of not just mental health, but other factors as well, such as supply chains and food security and so on. Um, this has been, I think, one of the most, well, if I may say, honest and most engaging discussions that I've had in this series. Um, I think it's come from a place of honesty and authenticity. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for sharing these stories and sharing them in a way that almost brings or bridges the, I guess, uh, statistics into this real world perspective that I think has been lacking in a lot of conversation. I think it will be lovely for our listeners, particularly to hear from your perspective, and you've talked a bit about it already, but if there were certain, I guess, takeaways that you'd like for our listeners, some who uh, fall in that demographic and also might have their own personal interests who are listening, what would be your message for them today? Well, I would say first, uh, be kind with yourself be streaming kind of yourself because you're a victim, right? Sometimes uh, re I remember my uh, journey. Sometimes I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm such a bad person. I'm such an inadequate person. And re it really just like a, a harm your self-esteem and it drives you to back to bad behavior, right? So one, I think be kind of yourself and know that you're a victim. Having said that, don't sit at a victim's uh, seat as well. Do something, right? And unfortunately, I think the state should do more. But my experience in places like Brazil, the state's not coming to save you. So you have to do something. So as I said, the best thing you can do is one, surround yourself with people that you can learn and help you get out of there, right? And be absolutely, uh, how can I say that? uh decisive and 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 really uh, 
pick and choose your company. It's like really distance yourself of people that will drag you back to bad behavior or drive you to the wrong direction. And the third is really try to look for knowledge, right? There's so much knowledge that I would, I have to confess, I was angry, angry. I was frustrated. Then when I was around uh, 40, I came across a book called The Road Less Traveled from Scott Peck. And it was, the, the book was published before I was born. And then when I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, only if, uh, if my, my parents had read it and they really understand that, my life could be completely different. I could have been spared for, of so much uh, pain. And although it feels like uh, uh, frustrating, what I took is that I cannot change my past, but I can do something different for my son, right? So I think the uh, looking for knowledge, there's so much knowledge that I was like, uh, oh my God, if I knew it, my life would be so much different. It's never late. It, it, it will help you to navigate and get you uh, to a better state. And the best is that you can break the cycle and really help the new generations, right? So this is, I think, my three uh, key messages. Paulo Leo, thank you so much for those words. And uh, I'll be sure that we have the link uh, for our listeners. You can find the link actually in the description of this episode. Uh, thank you so much for that. That brings us to the end of our uh, episode on this one. Uh, you can find out more uh, at the rss.com channel, which is the link below as well. You can also learn more about us at the voicesprojectasia.org. Uh, thank you so much for all our listeners who actually write in and give us their own feedback. And it really, really encourages us to uh, be inspired on taking these topics further. Uh, there is always help. There is always helplines for any of those listeners going through any form of uh, uh, depression or anxiety. Whichever way you're not feeling all the well, there's always resources that you can look for. Thank you, Paolo, again. And thank you, listeners. Thank you. See you in my next episode.